Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You start to understand that this is something bigger because as people come into our country, it's not just that there's a greater population pool of them that are consuming the products that they love, it's that they're sharing their flavors and their passions with their neighbors and the people around them. And we start to love the things that they love. And that this is the story of America. And that's what's most amazing about it and most beautiful. Like, where did vodka come from? Well, it came from, well, of course, Europe. And that's where Italian food came from. And it became mainstays of American culture. It became mainstream. So on the one side, I just love it because it's a beautiful story. And on the other side, it's financial growth for decades. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, do you ever play around with Google Trends? Oh gosh, how do you seriously know my vices? And yes, I do. I do a time. Why, why, why do you ask? Well, it's, it's so fascinating. Like here's a free tool that we all can use every single day to deeply understand what is on the global consumer's mind. And that can lead to pockets of growth. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Oh gosh, this takes me back maybe more than 15 years. We used to do this thing before Google Trends existed called Search Informed Insights. And this was actually when Google was not the end on be also looking at like Google and Yahoo and MSN and like other search engines that people used to use before Google became the one and understanding how people searched on different engines and what their mindset was by time of day, by day of week, by different trends that we would say like search is the most real time market research tool. And because it's so anonymized, it's really a reflection of the things people won't say. Even if you look at our prior episode with Olga from Reckitt, she was talking about the whole idea that when people are on Google, you know, when people are using the search bar, it's a mechanism for them to ask the questions that maybe they wouldn't be doing if they were walking into a brick and mortar store. I just did a quick search on Google Trends. The first thing is that everyone in America right now is searching for Taylor Swift. And then I wanted to dive deep into food. And literally since the year 2004 to present day, there's been a trillion percent lift in America searching for ramen noodles. And the reason why I bring this up is that we're about to hear from Jay Sethi, who's the CMO of Diageo Beer Company on the show. And Jay has a thesis that I'm obsessed with. And he follows immigration patterns to predict consumer trends. What's one of the fastest growing groups of people right now in the U.S.? It's folks who are coming over from Asia. And then you look at food trends like ramen noodles, and all of a sudden it starts to make a whole lot of sense. So if you're looking to place bets on the next big consumer trends, you're in for a treat 
hearing from Jay Sethi and how he thinks about building brands in this very diverse world. And if you think that Taylor Swift is a legit trend, you really need to get a different job. (laughs) I will say I'm certainly guilty of that kind of stuff. I'm trying to get tickets no matter where I can get them. But yeah, Jay is just absolutely extraordinary and doing common sense marketing. But as uh, I think it was somebody from Berkshire Hathaway said, common sense is very rarely common sense. It's really exciting, invigorating, and contextualizing to hear from Jay. So let's have him on the show. Jay, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rachel and Sarah. It's nice to be here. So your career goes well beyond Diageo. You spent a decade at P&G, which is something to be really proud of. P&G seems like a talent factory for tomorrow's CMOs. How do you feel your experience there prepared you for the role that you have today? Yeah, I mean, first, let me say that, I mean, I'm a bit nostalgic. I turned a very significant birthday this year, which I'm still struggling with to say, as you know, Rachel, we celebrated while I was over in Cannes with you this year. And at seven years at Diageo, which I love, it's it's an amazing company. But you're right, I spent a decade at P&G. I really do believe it's the greatest leadership academy, you know, in the world. I think that you leave PNG just fundamentally knowing how to run businesses and teams and brands because they put you, you know, in the middle of the company. They put you in the middle of these businesses and help you work through the times when it's, you know, I talk about the champagne moments and the crisis moments. And I think through those experiences, you really do learn how to take businesses from the top and make them even bigger. Or, you know, when they're small, you take them to bigger heights. And I love that about Procter. But I also think beyond the leadership, you get skills, you get brand building fundamental skills, you get business, general management skills. You have experiences that I think are very unique. You know, my first job at P&G was in Arkansas. You know, I was a kid from Chicago and this was life-changing. At first, terrifying, I'll admit, to live in Arkansas. Very different for me to live in the South. But I met so many of my best friends there. It taught me that so much of America is a wonderful place that I think we take for granted a little bit. And now living in New York City, I love New York, but I'm grateful that I lived in Arkansas. It makes me always remember that if I'm serving you know, the total American consumer, I've got to love every part of it. And I'm grateful for that experience. And I think it makes me a better marketer today. I also love that I had the opportunity to work alongside Walmart, which taught me a lot about sales and about what it's like to work alongside a huge corporate company. And so I think it's those experiences. And I think finally, it's the people. You work alongside rock stars and they push you, but now those rock stars are friends and they're mentors and they're business partners. And we call upon each other all the time. And so the combination of the leadership, the skills, experiences, and the people, you're just, you're infinitely valuable. If I add one thing, it's family. I'm a godfather to three of my friend's kids now. We get together all the time. It was everything. I'm grateful for that decade. And I'm also glad to be at Diageo now. I think it's really special that you've got that. And I think there are certain companies that grow people. And so you stay there for a certain period of time, but then you see the alumni community and the effect that they have on business in general. It's really extraordinary. Proctor is one of those places. And even in, uh, as Rachel and I have had you know, over a hundred guests on the podcast, the uh, breeding ground, if you will, you kind of see a lot of similarity. You've got, you know, Proctor folks, PepsiCo folks, Unilever folks, some craft, and, and you kind of look at that and see where they've gone on to. And you say, 
wow, I want to hire that recruitment person here, Profitero, because you just see kind of what happens and and the investment, not just in L&D, but in bringing in great talent. I think the other thing on that, on, on your point in Arkansas, I was there three weeks ago and boy, has Bentonville changed. I actually don't know if it's a reflection of America anymore. So the fact that you got it then is extraordinary. <laughs> That's a fair point. It has changed and it's incredible, like the museum and all the things that they're doing to, you know, really modernize it. It's impressive. I still say it's, I love going to a Walmart sales meeting. I mean, it is just the energy that you get from it. That's the point of my career. It's like, I want to be put in that tension. I want to be given the opportunity. I think Rachel has it. I'm sure you do. Of being able to have the challenge of making that sale. And that's a great experience to have so early in your career. Yeah. The museum scene there is kind of crazy. The art scene. When I came home and told my husband, I'm like, you would not believe the art and culture scene and the kind of infrastructure there. He's like, Sarah, it's Arkansas. I'm like, "Mm, you're an English teacher. You have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) But that all being said, I think it goes to something very, very fundamental that ties to who you are today and where you've come from, which is walking a mile in your consumer shoes. One of our core values is think like a customer for you, you've got to think like a customer, like you said, those conversations with Walmart, but also thinking like a consumer, one who's actually going to consider and buy your products. And what I think is so fascinating is not just the first part of your job, but the second part of your job in that you led the acquisition of Lone River Ranch Water, which was basically an MA role. So like the how, what? <laughs> first of all, I definitely didn't lead this by myself. We have an amazing business development team. And you can imagine, you know, an incredible multifunctional group that comes together to do this at a company like Diageo, myself, legal, business development, sales. But what my responsibility was to do was to put together an overall recommendation that says my job is to grow this convenience business for our company. And when you're doing that, you're evaluating, you know, is this brand going to be how we can help not just shape that our portfolio, but help to shape the future of the category. What kind of category do we want this to become? If you reflect on how Diageo has helped to shape tequila into a premium category, a category that reflects the best of Mexican culture, I think we want to shape the RTD, the ready-to-drink category, into a premium differentiated category as well. And what Lone River had was the hard seltzers were obviously booming and the overall ready-to-drink categories, you know, accelerating really fast. But here you had in Lone River, I think the combination of three things. One, it was the first mover in this tequila-inspired agave seltzer segment, which was a new space. Everything else had been more inspired by the vodka taste profile. And we knew what was happening in tequila. Of course, we're like, ha-ha, very smart. Second, it was authentically West Texas, where ranch water started from. And so there was an authenticity to it. And too many of the brands, you know, either they look generic or they lack just that bit of soul, that bit of heritage that really is going to help a brand be sustainable in the hearts and minds of consumers over a long time. I learned that at P&G. And then I think third, and I love this part, I think if it was just this West Texas heritage, it'd be one thing. I mean, country is massive in, a big, in America, bigger than most people imagine, sometimes even in New York, right? But it had a multiplier of Katie Bill Brown, the founder who was this woman who was in New York City, but had been, was born and raised in West Texas. And she was, you know, how many young women are CEOs of a beer company? And when I saw that, 
and heard her speak. I'm like, no, no, this is the real thing. She built a beer company in one year and became the pace setter. It's why three years later, we were holding on to that number one share position. When you have an authentic brand in a fast-growing category with a distinctive point of view, you know you've got a winner. And that was my role, to put that story together and help the company to see that. And of course, evaluate the financial side of this thing to ensure it would create value for the company in the short and the long term. And it was an exciting, exciting moment because you're right. That wasn't something I had done before. I will say it's quite addicting. I love, love, love this side of the job. And I think it's one thing I'm quite grateful for Diageo to see over time how your job can expand. At P&G, you're mostly growing big brands. At Diageo, I've learned to build a new brands, to come into this M&A space. And every single time you take on something new, your leadership just grows. And then more than anything, now I find myself saying, hey, I'm going to bring someone else onto the team so their leadership grows too. It really is quite a privilege. What's so interesting with you and your M&A seat is that you understand the value of brand, which a lot of times people in M&A positions come from more of a finance background. And so for you to recognize that in Katie is pretty unique. One of the things that I love talking to you about is how you approach identifying where there are pockets of growth that maybe other people are overlooking. And when we were at CAM together, you shared this thesis with me that I have held on to. And I really believe you're sitting on a pot of gold the way that you think about market trends. What you said to me is that you really pay attention to immigration patterns. And that leads you to deeply understanding consumer trends. Can you explain more to the listeners how you think about immigration and identifying pockets of growth? There was a thousand brands that entered the category last year, Rachel. And so when there's that many brands coming into a category, it's all about brand distinctivity. At some point, there's going to be a lot of great liquids. There's going to be a lot of money. It's the brand and the willingness of the company to support the brand that's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So coming to your question on um, macro trends and immigration, you know, I was having a conversation with Deborah, who had just come in to become the president of North America. And Deborah's fantastic, by the way. We were having our first conversation about the, you know, category trends, and we were talking about tequila and why tequila was growing. She was telling me how she was hearing so many different reasons why, myself included, many Americans you know, see it as a category in a, in a beverage that is clean. It's a tequila soda, lower calorie. And, and it's true, by the way, right? And so that's one of the reasons why this, this is a, a category that's really fueling growth. And what we were saying and acknowledging that the reality that that is one of the reasons why I was also offering another view of this, which is that tequila is in fact the fastest growing category within spirits. But if you look at the beer category, what's the fastest growing category within beer? Well, Mexican beer. And if you look at the food category, what's the fastest growing ethnic food category? Well, Mexican food. And if you look at music, what's the fastest growing category within music? Well, Spanish music. And if you start going really down the line of culture overall in America, you start to see, oh, wait, look at this past Halloween. All of a sudden, Day of the Dead is sparking, right? And all of a sudden, movies. I love that everyone's, you know, what's the song? Bruno. And I think you start to understand that this is something bigger because as people come into our country, it's not just that there's a greater population pool of them that are consuming the products that they love. It's that they're sharing their flavors and their passions with their neighbors and the people around them. And we start to love the things that they love. 
And that this is the story of America. And that's what's most amazing about it and most beautiful. Like, where did vodka come from? Well, it came from, well, of course, Europe, right? And that's where Italian food came from. And it became mainstays of American culture. It became mainstream. And for decades, they helped to grow cultures and categories, by the way. So on the one side, I just love it because it's a beautiful story. And on the other side, it's financial growth for decades, right? Because if you understand this, then you understand that for the next 30 years, Latin American cultures, Asian American cultures, as the fastest growing immigration pools will bring in their tastes and their flavors and their habits to American society. We will adopt many of them and they will change what we consume. And if you know that, then you start to be able to make different bets on innovation, on economic choices. And I do think if we look back, we can certainly drive a lot of those correlations to how things have occurred. And if we look forward, you can certainly make pretty smart choices. I think that that's something I understand as a marketer. I think that's something that I understand based on my business background. I also think it's something I understand because I come from a multicultural family. My mother is Mexican. My father is Indian. The two biggest immigration communities in America are Mexican and Indian. And so I think I grew up in the Midwest and I usually sort of are an observer a little bit. And I think it's a blessing, I think, for me that I have that view. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Given that that's your native background, for marketers that might not be inherently as diverse, do you have suggestions on how they can better get to know Latin and Asian cultures? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, let me just say that I think one of the wonderful things about the diversity and inclusion conversations that we're having today is that really we're just beginning to understand the true magnificence of what this is going to unlock for us because it's not just in the racial conversation of this or the ethnic conversation of this. It's in all parts of this. You know, I always joke that when I came to New York, I thought it was actually being you know, ethnically diverse or gay that it would make me different was actually being from the Midwest. And I'm like, guys, you need to know about the Midwest. And I'm like just screaming about this all the time, right? Whether you're from the Midwest or whether, by the way, I came from a middle-class background, it's socioeconomic or whether it's religion or all, whatever it is that makes you different, that is so intrinsically valuable in our jobs as leaders is really just to create environments where we are welcoming a different opinions so that we're all gaining from these perspectives. I think this is what's actually most important because I think there's so much economic value to unlock when we do that because my perspective is my perspective, but I think everyone has, you have perspective. We all have, you know, you've taught me so much because of your perspective. But I think when you start to put that together, it's really quite remarkable. In terms of your specific question, my best and most fun answer is really go out and see the world because the best part is you really get to understand it best when you go, you know, you were living in New York City. There are so many just great restaurants and great cultural experiences to get. 
And I think that is truly the best way to enjoy it and to learn it on the fun side. And then I think on the other side, it's to almost treat this like you would treat anything else in our business setting. You choose to take it on. Like, you know, I would say like write the best briefs against the things you don't know, because it's remarkable when you do that, the, what you'll learn very quickly, you know? And so in the same way that for my New York agencies, the first thing that I do is we go like to the Midwest, like we just intentionally go to like Texas or something. Well, in this case, go as an agency or go as a team to a place that you haven't been and learn about it. And I think you're going to get the insight pretty quickly that you need. I love it. You know, it's interesting when you start looking at it a little bit more, you've unpacked a lot of things that I think is going to be particularly helpful for our audiences because I was taking some notes on here. Cultural EQ avoids the concept of me search, which I think is extremely important. And so you bring an awareness just given the diversity of your background to know that that's something you need to share with others. Because even though you come from a Mexican Indian heritage, that opens your mind to the fact that, hey, there are different people. I need to learn different stuff. People say that, but how do you go back to that walking a mile in others' shoes and that cultural EQ, whether that's cuisine? Or just even understanding, I remember when I started the move from running a regional office to running a national company to running a global company, there was just so much. But the thing I needed to do the most was when I was running a global company to teach the other markets that the U.S. is not a single culture. The way you talk to somebody in the South is different than the way you talk to somebody in the Midwest. And there's a lot of just on the passive aggressive spectrum. Forget about cuisine. There's a whole other thing. But, you know, I'm a native New Yorker. I recognize that. So how I work with people in Atlanta is going to be different. Actually, you're right, because it's only when you're in these global contexts, like when, you know, I work for a British company now. And so all of a sudden, when you see the America through their lens, you see the distinctions in a completely different way, by the way. And only, you know, in the opposite is true. You know, Europe and England are have all of their distinctions in in the same way. And I think the more you allow these conversations, honestly, to just, I don't know when and how they all became so difficult to have, when it just becomes about cultural, like actual cultural richness. And you talk about yours and I'll talk about mine and let's just enjoy it. It's actually an incredibly fun and rich conversation. I love it. The thing you picked on, you mentioned the word multicultural, and I think there's something very important about that. Because multicultural is not a group of a bunch of different people that are just not like the founding fathers of America. The fact that immigration trends is your North Star more than just ethnic diversity in general. And we look at anybody who's brown and say, okay, well, that's that's a block. That stuff drives me crazy. But the fact that you're looking at it through the lens of what does that do to influence culture? And what does that do to influence the way people think? People who come in from Mexico or LATAM or whatnot and come in and say, I believe in the American dream. I actually see this as as accessible to me versus African-Americans who might've been fourth, fifth, sixth generation here saying, I don't know, man, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about that dream. That actually makes a huge difference in how you think about how you relate and where their mindset is at. And coming out of the elections, not that I'm going down that path, I swear, but coming out of the elections, I think those are one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, I guess we shouldn't do it that way. And marketers have been saying that for years. And I I just love the way you frame it out. I think that we probably could pick your brain forever. 
But what is one of your hot takes for 2023 based on what maybe you're seeing in immigration patterns or just general consumer behaviors? What's the one bet you're really thinking about in 2023? You said the election. Let me just say one thing about that. The Gen Z population, you know, this red wave that was going to happen, and to see the Gen Z cohort have such impact in potentially changing the course of the outcome really just speaks to a cohort that was, I think we understood to be influential from a cultural perspective. But now we're starting to, we're going to start to see and understand their impact from a political perspective, an economic perspective, and that really starts to change influence at a whole nother level. That is something that we should all be really, really watching. They are a really important demographic as we think about how they see the world. I think we've been talking about that, but now they are sizable and they're reaching an age where they're going to have spending power in a different kind of way. And I think that is something that I'm really paying attention to. If I think about some of my brands like a Smirnoff, which is growing, but it's, it serves this very multiculturally diverse group that is Gen Z. You know, they are, I see two things that come from that. One, they are a community that is very much wanting brands that understand them. They are a community that is very much going to be more tech and e-commerce forward. And we are traditionally not been that. So making that bet in a more significant way is going to be important to my business. And I think third, their habits and consumption are different. So for a long time, we really were talking about more trends like holistic and better for you. And that's still going to be true, by the way. Like there's still the growth of, for example, non-alk and low-alk. But all of a sudden, you see this rise. And I've been saying this for a bit, but it's really much more real now of flavor and indulgence. And part of that is a reaction to COVID and coming back out of it and saying, wait a minute, Fun is part of wellness, actually. And it's been a little bit rough and I want to have a good time. But part of that is also a multicultural group, a different dynamic in America that says, actually, these are my flavor preferences. And all of a sudden, you don't just see everything as low cal, low sugar. You also see flavor coming forward in a bigger way. And so you have a group that is saying, we're big enough, we're important enough, and this is what we want. So I see things like e-commerce rising. I see flavor indulgence rising. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting to be, see these trends change, but I'm also interested to see which leaders are paying attention to these trends because it's not necessarily where we live or who we interact with all the time, but they are going to change the course of business and politics and, you know, I think other big institutions. And I think it's just going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds. I love that insight in terms of flavor and indulgence in this younger generation. Jay, I'm curious how you're going to answer this. It's our famous last question. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done? I'll answer it in two parts if it's okay. For sure, the bravest thing I've ever done. Well, I don't know, maybe moving to Arkansas, but no, coming out for sure. Hardest thing I've ever done by a mile. It took me a good 35 years, right, Rachel? So, way too long. But I'm infinitely grateful I did it. And I'm infinitely grateful that I'm done doing it, you know, because the journey takes too long. So, by far, that was the bravest thing I've ever done. And I'm really grateful to everyone in my life. And I'm done talking about it. So, that's the past. And I always say that in my heart, I always think that I have that, that little plaque next to my desk, my, my bed that says, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I know it's cheesy, but I love this thing because on the other side of it, it says, just proceed to be bold. And I genuinely keep it one side or the other, depending on where I am in my life, because sometimes I need it 
to be asking me the question and sometimes I needed to be directing me. And it's because I just always believe that the, the honesty that the greatest, the bravest thing I, I haven't done it yet. Like it's still in front of me. I've done a series of brave things in my life. And yes, coming out is the biggest one, but I just think that, I don't know, we're here to make a big impact. I'm very lucky. I'm, you know, my mother was the only one of her siblings from Mexico that had the opportunity to come. I'm therefore the one of my cousins that got this life. And that's a huge blessing. And I am definitely going to make the most of it. And so she gave me a big call to action. You know, I'm going to live up to it. So I don't know, ask me in 10 years. I love that. I want to see this plaque. And for clarity, I did not out Jay. <laughs> she definitely did it. I've done that on my own, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Jay is an executive leader we all should be following. One of my favorite things is talking to him about what his Google trend searches are. So if we all could get in your head for a day. Oh, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we probably could make a lot of money. Well, thank you, Jay, so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Rachel. That was a fabulous episode. And I really love how Jay brought context, both from his own background, but also the importance of not taking a me-search-like approach. If you like this episode, I would highly recommend listening to S.E. Sang, the CEO of Tate's Bake Shop, or Mark Edmondson, who's the CMO of uh, Matern Go-Go Squeeze, about diversity, or Tony Navin at Kraft International talking about the retailer dynamics, but bringing a very different perspective than Jay did about his relationship with like a Walmart and the way that he thinks about that more through an international lens. So let us know what you think. Please share, subscribe, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.